You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 22 with Lorreen Pendleton. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. For today's interview, we've got Lorreen Pendleton. For those that have not heard of Lorreen, she's a seasoned business development executive with extensive experience in the legal, internet, and entertainment industries. She's presently the U.S. Director of Business Development for the largest global law firm in the world, Denton's. And she's a a former practicing attorney at Lundell Macmillan PC, which is a leading entertainment boutique law firm where she structured and negotiated multifaceted entertainment and media deals on behalf of clients such as Prince, Spike Lee, Rough Riders Records, Faith Evans, Stevie Wanda, and Shaka Khan. Lorene is also an active angel investor who invests and advises women and minority-led companies. She was named by Marie Claire as one of the 50 most connected women in America and also named among the 20 angel investors you should know by Black Enterprise Magazine. She's also been featured in numerous publications, including Fast Company and Forbes, and frequently speaks about entrepreneurship and raising capital. In today's episode, Lorene and I talked about the biggest things she learned about herself while working at Lundell McMillan PC. We discussed her very interesting transition from being a practicing attorney through to her present role at Denton's. We talked about the process of becoming an angel investor. She explained what an angel investor is and does. We talked about the most important metrics that she looks at as an angel and what helps her in her decision making and deciding whether she's going to take action and invest with a founder. Lorene gets deep into a host of resources for entrepreneurs and startups to consider, you know, looking into. And she shared a few lessons that black women and minority founders need to know to grow their business. There's a wealth, a wealth of information that you will absolutely want to be prepared to take notes about midway through today's episode. Definitely a must listen for all startups, aspiring and even existing entrepreneurs and business owners. You don't want to miss out on today's wisdom. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Today on our show, we are so excited to have a conversation with Lorene Pendleton. Lorene, welcome to the show and thanks for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. So I want everyone listening to know that, you know, despite all your past and present success, that you're still just a regular person. Could you tell us something that's not polished for media consumption, but is 100% Lorene? Uh, kind of on my spare time, I'm an I'm an avid foodie, so I love to uh, check out the new hotspot restaurants that are happening. I follow a lot of chefs, and also I'm a great home cook. I've taken culinary classes, and so nice. you know, in an ideal life, you know, I would be kind of like an Anthony Bourdain, <laughs> you know, have a restaurant <laughs> and then travel the world. So that's really uh, something I'm really passionate about. Well, if ever you end up in Jamaica, I'll I'll have to have my dad uh, prepare you a good meal. My dad's a chef by trade as well. Sounds good. Aki is on the menu. Is Aki on the menu? Absolutely. Okay. You like some Aki and sawfish? I do. I do. Nice. So, you know, I've I've read up a lot about you and you have a, a very interesting bio and backstory. You know, and I was curious right from the jump, you know, what was your dream as a child? Did you always have dreams of, of being a lawyer? Actually, no. Um, as a child, um, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. But that all changed. My dad, who's a computer engineer, brought home an IBM, the first IBM personal computer. He brought it home. And so I was about, I think I was about 12 or 13 and totally got hooked. And uh, <laughs> I learned how to program. I program in basics. I'm totally dating myself here. But I, I um, that was kind of opened up a door in terms of technology and my love for technology and that kind of shifted things. So I ended up going to college and I wanted to be an engineer when I entered college. And I did engineering for my first year. I, was, I went to Brown. Then after that, I changed, changed degrees. I ended up majoring economics and computer science. So ended up doing that. And then kind of on a spare time as my extracurricular activities, I was a radio DJ for WBRU at Brown. And uh, that was a college commercial station, one of the only few college commercial stations in the country. So basically all of the uh, students were, I'm sorry, all the DJs were college students at Brown, but then we had professionals who ran the station. 
organization, sales mm. team and that kind of thing. So we would go to events in Providence and kind of was a personality, radio personality in Providence. So I did that outside of my day-to-day college experience. And that actually gave me the kind of the entertainment bug. And mm. I ended up after graduating, I worked for, I went to the record industry and I worked for Capitol Records, their jazz label called Blue Note Records. And I started my career there. And uh, it was a really, really a great experience. Was there for a couple years and I was always, always considered going to grad school. So at that point it was a toss up between business school or law school. Right. And I asked my mentor who ran the label, president of Blue Note Records, Bruce Lumble. I told him I wanted to have a career in entertainment, but I wanted to go to grad school. And I asked him, should I go to business school or should I go to law school? And he said verbatim, if you want to have a career in entertainment, go to law school. That's a business degree you can have. And I wow. took those words to heart. And I thought that was really great advice. And so I didn't want to, you know, I, I, it's really hard to get in the entertainment industry. And I, I got in and doing internships and I got in, finally landed a job. So I went evening division while working full time, went at night for your program and, you know, worked at after that, you know, after Blue Note, I, during the time I was going to law school, I worked at another record label and ended up working at William Morris Agency, which is a big talent literary agency. We represent a lot of celebrities and well-known people. And I was there for a number of years and I graduated and I, I happened to land at a law firm, a boutique entertainment law firm. And the firm was called Londo McMillan PC. And it was basically this young African-American attorney who had some really amazing clients in the record industry. And it was an opportunity of a lifetime to go work for him. His big client and his big claim to fame was Prince. And he was the one who emancip- emancipated Prince. He got him out of his agreement with Warner Brothers, and that was his first client. Really? Yeah, wow. absolutely. And uh, I was fortunate to work for Londell, and we had other clients as well. And it was just really a great experience. So that was kind of my first job, you know, legal job as a lawyer at a boutique entertainment law firm. Wow. I did see that. and it, it, it was pretty amazing to see, you know, the law firm working with, with clients, as you mentioned, Prince. I also saw Spike Lee and Stevie Wonder and, you know, all these big names, right? And <laughs> What were yeah. the biggest things you learned about yourself in your time there at Londell Macmillan PC? So I think I, I, I learned a lot. Actually, um, I learned a lot from Londell. And mm-hmm. he was, like I said earlier, he was this young African-American attorney, you know, and he actually launched his firm with Prince. I mean, basically, Prince was his first client, which is unheard of. And Wow. Yeah. No, he, he was working at another law firm, and he, through his contact and network, got to meet Prince, and Prince was looking to leave Warner Brothers and, you know, was looking for a representation and he connected with, with Londell. Londell basically, you know, launched his law firm working, you know, as, as Prince is being his client. And, and this is a lot to be said about, about Prince and, you know, rest in peace. And he was an amazing artist, an amazing person, is that he gave people an opportunity and people of color. And so he hired Londell. And Londell mm-hmm. was the one who got out on his agreement with Warner Brothers, which a lot of people know about. And right. Londell built a law firm, and most of the attorneys were people of color. And um, what I learned was that, you know, we fought, we had a lot of our clients were African-American, people of color, and we would go into rooms with record executives who were majority, they were all white males, basically. And here was right. this young, young attorney, African-American, grew up in Brooklyn, but just was really fighting for be, on behalf of his clients who were mm-hmm. mainly black. And we all know the record industry, you know, is not necessarily the easiest or, you know, they're, they're, it's a business and they, they yep. make money off of, I wouldn't say exploiting, but definitely they make money off of artists. And Londell would, you know, zealously advocate for his clients. And what I learned was, you know, and oftentimes I'm the only black person, person of color, sometimes the only woman in a room. But I learned from him, he could walk into a room and because the clients he represented, you know, people would listen and stop and listen to him and, you know, just kind of carry yourself a certain way and you own right. it. And mm-hmm. that was just, those are lessons that I've taken. That that was a lesson I had taken since working with him. And I was pretty young when I worked in a, with him, for him. I was in my 20s. And I just saw how he, how he conducted himself, carried himself. 
And a lot of it is having confidence and knowing your worth right. and knowing your client's worth. And so that was, I think, the largest lesson for me. Yeah, I'm thinking that had to be a big confidence booster in, in your early 20s, right? Absolutely. Um, and he would take me to meetings and he would just say, you know, I just want you to come to a meeting. You're not going to say anything. I would take notes. And, you know, it was all about, he just liked my presence. And I worked in entertainment for a long time. And it was just a really great learning experience for me. So why transition from being a, a practicing attorney, you know, to where you presently are, right, uh, um, with Dentons? What enticed you to follow that path so, and after all that success? So we'll go step step back before even we get touch upon Denton. So while sure. I was working for Lundell, this was kind of the whole Internet 1.0 version of the Internet. Mm. You had uh, companies like MP3.com and Napster. They were merging. They were music-focused file sharing sites and there was this whole convergence of you know technology meaning entertainment I was all, always really comfortable with technology as I mentioned I, I learned how to program mm -hmm. when I was a teenager and um, did that when I was in college and working with Prince you know he was getting into basically distributing his own music you know he launched a couple of websites where he's distributing his music directly to consumers not streaming this was before streaming but you know kind of e-commerce site where people could buy his CDs at the time and I saw this convergence of entertainment technology and I saw that was going to be the future mm -hmm. and I had a chance opportunity I was out with some friends having drinks and I met someone who knew someone who was starting a startup that was focused on you know basically licensing their technology for entertainment companies and you know I took a leap of faith and you know I, they gave me equity of the company they were looking for people at entertainment contacts and so I joined on basically doing business development for this startup. And, you know, it was, it was an opportunity. And so that's kind of how I jumped into kind of business development. But I was doing it for startups. Unfortunately, company, I, I, I joined, you know, we only had like a, a runway of about a year or so. And they were definitely ahead of their time. I think they, if they were around maybe four or five years later, they would have been highly successful. But they had great technology. And so they folded after a year. So I found myself at a crossroads. You know, right. I, I go back to practicing as a lawyer or do I, you know, continue on this internet startup path? And, you know, I saw that that may not have been the right company, you know, ahead of their time, but there was a lot of stuff going on in the whole internet space. So I said, you know, I'll continue in the internet space. I joined a company called Community Connect. They were actually mm -hmm. one of the first social networking players where Facebook existed. Their claim <laughs> to fame is um, they created social networking websites for the uh, ethnic community. So they have BlackPlanet.com, Asian Avenue, Mahente, which was a Latino website. And basically, they were social networking where people can come and connect with others based on their ethnicity. And they had about 200 million registered members. And my job oh. was to go and get you know, advertisers who wanted to reach that market, that ethnic market, but also online. And, and again, this was before the internet is as prevalent as it was, but because of their sites were very sticky, people would use their sites a lot. They would spend on average about an hour at a time on their website. And so it was really an interesting time because this was the infancy of, of, of the internet and social media, social networking. So I, I was there for um, a number of years. And then I left to join another firm, another kind of startup called Select Minds. And they were a B2B social networking platform, but B2B. So they would create social networking platforms for companies. So, mm. you know, professional service firms, you know, using the model of like McKinsey, where they keep in touch with their alumni who go on and become decision makers and buyers of their services. So basically, we would go to law firms, investment banks, you know, IT consulting firms, the big four and say, you know, you have these massive classes that come in, you need a way to connect with them, your alumni network, because about 5% of them will be decision makers. And so we created their whole platform. So it was a software company and I, I was director of sales. And that wow. was a great experience. Both of those companies were sold. And, you know, kind of the story was I, I, I worked for this initial company, Mind Echo, the first company that I started out in startups and it folded, but I learned a lot about, you know, business models and what it takes to create a business and how you need revenue. And then the other two were sold. And so that was my first kind of entree into the startup world and then business development. 
and when I was working at Select Minds, a lot of the a lot of the companies we were going after, organizations or firms, were law firms where you know law firms hire a certain amount of people every year. You fast forward seven years down the road. They don't, you know, they come in with income and class. People have left, and but they've gone on and, and they're doing some interesting things. So you need to create a platform for them. And so during that experience, I saw that there was uh, at the big law firms you had business development executives, and again, like you know, had an opportunity to go join a firm, and that was my first entree into working at a law firm, but on the business development side, and that was about 12 right. years ago. And so that's how I kind of ended up at doing business development at a law firm. Wow, that's awesome. A very eclectic path to where you are. So, you know, I'm 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 curious. With all that happened, were there mentors that you had? I know you mentioned having mentors in the past prior to Lundell, but were there did you have guiding advisors along the way kind of helping you through these different career stops? So I had definitely, I wouldn't pinpoint and say I had like one mentor per se, but I definitely, right. when I was making moves or I was contemplating about doing something, you know, I'd reach out to people in my network and would ask what they think about it. I mean, my dad certainly would reach out to him and, you know, he was in corporate America, had been in corporate America for a number of years. And so he was definitely someone I would bounce things off of. But also just people I met, you know, from college or just people in my professional circle definitely would bounce things off of them and kind of just cultivating my network and getting input and different perspectives from people. So I say, I mean, you know, I can't say I had a mentor per se, but I definitely had people in my network who would guide me and give me some guidance. Right. More personal mentors. Absolutely. Personal mentors. Exactly. Kind of my personal advisory board, if you if you want to call it that. Absolutely. <laughs> so today you're now an active angel investor and I, I've read a bunch that, you know, you invest and advise women and, and minority led companies and you're alumna of Pipeline Angels. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I am. So was it through these different jobs that you had that, you know, you began learning about the investor side and, and the process of being an investor? How did that come about? So I think um, because I had been exposed to the whole startup world, you know, right. something that, you know, I was very interested in. And I, in retrospect, I look at the organizations I worked for, particularly working for Lundell. He was his own firm, very entrepreneurial, you know, built his firm from scratch. So I was exposed to entrepreneurs and then working at startups. So I was definitely exposed to the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial world. And I, I missed that world. And I, but I think the connecting dot for me, so I've been thinking about that in the entrepreneurial world and I wanted to actually kind of uh, combine my business development experience, my legal experience, startup world experience, but I didn't quite know how to do that. But one of the things that happened, and I, I say the universe conspires, is that, you know, Soledad O'Brien, when she was on CNN, did this series, Being Black in America, Black in America, and she focused on, basically, she followed this class, the New Me Accelerator Program, and they were, they basically had about, I think it was 10 African American entrepreneurs, and they sent them to Silicon Valley. And they were basically in this accelerator program and they met with people in the valley and she had set a stat that just resonated with me that, you know, African Americans get in terms of funding, VC or angel, whatever, just external funding, 1%. And I just thought that that was abysmal. And I had worked at startups where we had gotten funding and, you know, I knew it was possible. And particularly at Community Connect, which was like focused on the ethnic market and diverse market. And I just thought that was just abysmal and just really horrible. And so um, I said, you know, I want to change that and I want to figure out, I wanted wanted to mentor entrepreneurs, also provide funding, but I didn't know how to do that. And like I said, the universe conspires and I would get an email. I'm a subscriber of this startup company for women, Daily Worth. They send emails to uh, women about finances and financial information and one day I got an email, it's a daily email, mm. and they highlighted Pipeline Angels and they interviewed the the, uh, the founder of it and she was running a nonprofit for a number of years for women entrepreneurs and the overriding you know, kind of pain point for these entrepreneurs was lack of funding and she kept hearing it over and over again. And she said, you know, and she looked at it, did a deep dive and 
you know, the reason why a lot of these are getting funded is because people make the decision pattern matching or white men. And so she decided that if she can create more women angel investors, they'll have a high likelihood of investing in and women. Women, right. So I joined the program. I, I 2013, I was in the program. I had a cohort. It was a New York cohort of uh, 10 other women who were incredible from all different industries, legal, finance, real estate. And we learned together. It's a boot camp, how to become an angel investor. So we had mentors who were VCs, lawyers who were in the space. And, um, you know, as part of the program, we learn. And then we also invest and we had to agree. All of us had to agree to invest in one company unanimously and we did that and that was just a really great experience for me and that kind of launched my um my angel investing career right so let me pause you right there could you maybe explain for some of those listening who aren't familiar maybe with with what an angel is could you explain what an angel investor is and does Sure. So an angel investor is someone who invests their own money, usually in early stage companies. And the difference between, you know, a lot of people use angel investors and VCs interchangeably. But really the difference between an angel is that there's someone who invests his or her own money to an early stage company. It varies. It could be any, it could be from $10,000 to, you know, half a million or a million, depending on those are pretty much super, super angels at that high end, but they invest their money themselves or together in an angel group. Whereas a VC, they invest other people's money. So they typically have a fund and they're investing in it and um, they're a general partner. So they make the investment decisions, but the people who invest in the fund are limited partners and they invest in a number of companies and they have a portfolio. So as an angel investor, I have my own portfolio, but it's money I've invested in my, you know, my own money that I've invested. Typically, um, well, all angel investors have to be a credit investor. That's basically regulations by the SEC. You have to make a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of net worth, but things are changing a bit now with um, the whole crowdfunding. Um, The Jobs Act was just put into effect title three of the Jobs Act. So now that um, companies can now, companies, entrepreneurs can now crowdfund and they can go, you don't have to be an accredited investor. So that's another wow. area that's also really exciting and interesting for entrepreneurs to kind of tap into. Right. So now being an angel investor yourself, you know, what are some of the important performance metrics that you're looking at and helping you to decide whether you're going to take action and invest with a founder? Is there specific things you're looking at? No, I definitely, um, definitely have specific things. So one of the things, I mean, there are multiple things. I'll go through each of them. So I always look at, you know, someone has a product or service. What is the problem they're solving? What's the pain point? You know, what's the pain point and what's their solution? So what's the product market fit? Product market fit, you know, basically they have to be solving a problem. Is this a business where people are going to, is this an idea where you can launch a business so people will buy your product or service? So mm-hmm. you're addressing an issue, you're addressing a problem, you're addressing a pain point, and you have a great solution for it. The other thing is how large is the addressable market? So, you know, you could have a small market, you're addressing a pain point, but it only affects like... 10 people, that's not enough to build a business on. I mean, maybe for you, a lifestyle business, but as an investor, the only way I make money is... If it can scale. Can scale it, but also an exit. So you can either, you can exit Mm. phase where I can make money. My return on my investment is either IPO, which are very rare, or you're acquired. Mm -hmm. So I have to look at, so companies are going to be acquired or IPO, you have to be highly scalable. So you look at the addressable market, how big is this market? That's really important. And on scalability, can a company scale? And what that means is you start out small and can you build your company and grow it so that you actually, as you get bigger, the cost of you running your business gets smaller and so you're able to scale it and you're able to have the funding or just you know either render revenue or outside funding to to grow it and and you know make it big make it really big i mean vcs look for they want a billion dollar business to invest in you know angels not so much i mean angels you can look for a, a business that'll be a hundred million dollar business and i can walk away because i got an early stage you know i can walk away with a decent return. Right. 
I also look at what's the competition out there. It's actually okay to have, people have this misconception that, oh, if someone else is doing it in the space, it's not good. You know, there's tons of companies that have competitors. I think there's very few companies where, you know, or you have an idea where no one's ever thought about it, a company doesn't exist. I think the key is, you know, are you improving on something that already is out there in the marketplace and how are you doing that? And that's really important. Right. And uh, how do you differentiate yourself? That's really important. How's the company, what are they doing differently that their competitors are not doing? So that's kind of how I look at the company and the, the business model and can it be a business? Can, can it go from an idea to a business? But what's really important for me is the founder because you have the best idea in the world, but if you can't... The wrong person executing. And there's an investing adage and it's bet on the jockey and not the horse. And again, it's basically, you know, you can have the best company, but the founder is not good and it's not someone who can execute on the idea. It will not succeed. Conversely, right. if you have an okay or average company, average business idea, but the founder is amazing. They, he or she can execute well. They know how to pivot when necessary. They're coachable. You know, you can have a home run. And so for me, I spend time with the founders. I have to, I have to believe in them. And also... As an entrepreneur, it's really hard. I mean, it's a hard life. You're getting people to believe in your dream. And so they have to have the ability to sell investors, sell employees to come on, jump on their bandwagon and their dream and customers. So are they, do they inspire people? And that's really important for me. And, I, and the companies I've invested in, every meeting I have with the people I ultimately invested in, I was inspired by them. It's something that's not, I can't, it's not tangible. It's just you either feel it or you don't. And all these other things, absolutely, I do my due diligence and I make sure, you know, the company has the right customers and, you know, the addressable market is large enough. But initially, I have to be sold by the founder. And that, yep. to me, is my lit litmus test. Got to have that right gut feeling, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. But you can't just so, rely just solely on your gut. But that's like the no, first, absolutely not. Right. The yeah. first. That, that's kind of the first hurdle. If I don't have that, if I don't have that like kind of feeling inspired, I'm not going to invest in you. I appreciate you sharing that. That's that's very in, in, very informational. Um, what with all that you have going on, you know, we didn't talk much about your your day to day with Dentons, but how do you keep from falling into and getting stuck in comfort zones with work? And what do you do to push yourself to new and higher heights? That's a great question. You know, I think um, well, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm at a firm um, that's growing very rapidly with the largest law firm in the world, and we've had a lot of expansion and and doing a lot of different things. So you know, definitely, I don't ever get in a rut. It's more of just kind of looking at priorities and what do I need to prioritize each day um, and being focused on that. But that aside, you know, also looking at how can I challenge myself as a professional. And I feel like the learning curve should never flatten for a professional. I think Great. that you should all, always be learning. There's The marketplace is ever changing. You should read. I mean, I read the Wall Street Journal every day. You know, I read certain, you know, publications. I get newsletters just to know, like, what's going on. And that's really important. And I think, you know, as a professional, you have to constantly evolve, particularly now. I think in this day and age, things are rapidly changing, you know, the law firm world is not how it used to be. You have organizations and firms that are entering the market. They're disrupting it. And, um, you know, you got to stay one step ahead and, um, you know, just kind of always be a constant learner. Right. And so, you know, it actually is a great pivot to my my next question. You're now an advisor and an investor to, to startups, right? I'd love it if you could um, maybe share a couple of fundamental lessons that uh, black women, minority, you know, run businesses that are on the come up that are listening to this episode today. Maybe what they'd need to know to lay, you know, a better foundation to build and grow their business and, and possibly raise funds. So, uh, you know, you touched on a, you know, touch on a great point, particularly for African-American right now, it's, it's really difficult to raise money. And I'm not, you know, I'm on that side of an investors and, and investor. And part of what I'm doing is to level the playing field. And I want to create 
you know, opportunities by giving capital to diverse entrepreneurs. There was a study that just came out recently, Project Diane came out a few months ago. They um, looked at the landscape for, you know, just different entrepreneurs and companies and basically 24 out of over 10,000 companies, only 24 black women founders were able to raise money. So it was wow. about, it's about 0.2%. But here's the, listen to this. This is like, so that's like horrible. But they looked at how much money on average were these companies that were able to raise money. So of that 0.2% that were able to raise money, how much were they raising? On average, what everyone else was getting. they only raised $36,000. Versus an average white male-led company raised $1.3 million. So I just want to put that in perspective as a kind of a starting Uh, point as I give my advice. And it's not by any means to dissuade anyone because we know, you know, it's a challenge. But Is it lack of knowledge? No, it's pattern matching. That's the whole thing. Like if you look at people who are giving money, they're white males. So, you know, they give money to people they know who look like them. They're looking for Mm -hmm. the next Mark Zuckerberg. You know, my whole thing is I want to find the next black, Latino, diverse woman, Mark Zuckerberg. And I know they exist. You know what? They haven't had the opportunity. And I look at the companies I've invested in. Had it not been for me and some other people, you know, they've gone on. A number of my companies have gone on and they've raised Series A VCs from VCs, you know, but they were, they were, they had revenue and, and, and at the time when they were going for their initial raise and their seed round, they weren't interested. Had it not been for the circle of women and other people in my network funding them, they would not have gotten that series A. So I want to level the playing field. So back to your original question in terms of advice. So I'm kind of painting a picture. And again, I don't want to dissuade people, but I want people to have the reality that exists out there. So all these things that I mentioned in terms of what I look for in a company, you really need to know your market in and out. But Mm -hmm. there's other alternatives besides going to you know, angel investors and VCs. There's a ton of grants, government grants that exist for small companies. So definitely research grants that are out there. You know, they have the Small Business Innovation Research Program. You've got the Business Technology Transfer Program. A number of economic development agencies, you have them at state and federal level. They exist and they're dedicated to helping businesses start and grow and succeed. So these are resources that you can look at. And then the other thing is business plan competitions are huge. You have them at schools or all, you know, I mean, I, there's so many business competitions. You have them schools, you have companies that are doing that. And they're basically, you pitch and you can get, you know, from $10,000 to Verizon, they actually, their powerful answers competition. One of the companies that I was on the board of, she won their uh, $300,000 grant. They give up a million dollars every year. So uh, I encourage your listeners to, you know, take a look at Verizon Powerful Answers competition. So they give the highest prize is is a million. The lowest prize is, uh, you know, $250,000. But there's a ton of companies and corporations that are giving, have business competitions. So that's another way. Then you have a proliferation of accelerators. There's tons of accelerators that exist. And basically, for people who don't know what accelerator is, they're basically venture programs that will fund, give a small amount to a startup that will fund it, you know, but basically you're going in and it's kind of a boot camp. You have access to their contacts, their network. They'll take, they'll take a part of your company, usually about 5%, 3 to 5%. But again, you know, you've got some really great accelerators out there, Wine Combinator, Techstars, DreamIt, Founders Institute, 500 Startups. And those are kind of the big players, but there's a ton of other accelerators. So definitely take a look at that. The other thing I mentioned, I touched upon earlier in our conversation is, particularly with the Jobs Act, um, the Passage of the Jobs Act, which now allows non-accredited investors to invest. From what I've been reading, a lot of women, you know, and I would probably, I don't know for a fact, but I think a lot of women aren't taking advantage of it as many women aren't taking advantage, I'm sure a lot of diverse entrepreneurs probably are not taking advantage as as well, is there's a ton of, um, you know, these crowdfunding websites. They usually work when you have a product, but these, they're out there and you need to definitely, entrepreneurs need to take a look at those. And they have some that are very, you know, specific. So 
Circle Up is focused on, you know, consumer products. You got Kickstarter, they're focused more on creative projects. And you've got like Portfolio, that's for women. You've got AngelList, which is more of a general crowdfunding site. But there's a ton of crowdfunding sites out there and people should definitely take advantage of that. So I think now is a really exciting time for entrepreneurs, even though as a diverse entrepreneur, you know, you see the stats and it's not that encouraging, but there's a lot more alternatives to the traditional route of raising money. Lorene, I'm going to have to be like writing a blog post on all the resources you just shared. That's such a wealth of knowledge right there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. By the way, for everyone listening, this is going to be posted on our show notes page. And so don't worry, you'll you'll be able to extract. Uh, I'm going to try and extract as many links to many of these grants and sites that Lorene is mentioning right now. Florine, what can we look forward to, you know, with you, any big dreams or goals on your vision board as you look on to the next 10 years? Sure. Uh, You know, so I've seen just, you know, the past few years, kind of the impact I've had with, you know, the investing and the mentoring of entrepreneurs. But, you know, I'm only one person and I'm a big believer in, you know, I look at companies that are scale and I want to scale myself. And so um, I'm in the near future, I'm looking and I've been in talks with discussing with people. I want to launch a fund, a diverse fund that's going to raise money from investors who want to have a cut of it. And, you know, I'll go out and source, you know, great entrepreneurs and vet them and invest in them. And, you know, that's something that um, I want to do, you know, and then within the next year or so, I'm actively focusing on that. And um, is that something separate from starting your own VC? Well, it's a so VCs are I wouldn't start a VC right now. I don't I don't have the track record to do that. But you have these micro yeah. micro funds, early stage funds that you can create. So I do that, and I have some successes. And ultimately, I would start a VC fund. But you know, start small and you get bigger. So my long term goal would yeah, absolutely have a VC fund. But in the interim, I think there's a lot of companies that are out there. Diverse entrepreneurs are not at that level that they would get VC funding right now. So right. I need to go where. The market is again addressable market is early stage companies and so creating a vehicle from them and then you know as these companies grow and they have exits and then you create an ecosystem where you have VC funds that are going to be funding them but we're not at that point yet there's a couple of outliers who are getting money but right now I think the the, the need is for early stage companies so uh, a micro fund and, and and take it from there and then also you know most recently I was at the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit Right. Um, I was a speaker, and earlier in the month I was speaker, and and I judged their pitch competition, and um, you know it was over a thousand people, and you know my panel I talked about it was a women women investing in you know black women panel, and I gave some really great advice, and afterwards just swarmed by the women that were there and just wanted to talk to me afterwards, and there's such a need. I think there's about I think 1.4 million black women who are entrepreneurs, and it's the fastest right. growing segment of entrepreneurs right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But yet, I gave you stats, <laughs> the least funded, and I want to change that. And I think by cha- helping helping positioning these companies with their business model and providing resources for them. And so that's another idea that I have in terms of, you know, just kind of how can I create a platform where I can educate you know, diverse entrepreneurs, providing resources. And there are a lot of people have great ideas and actually we're in, in business making revenue and, you know, just talking to them briefly. I'm like, you could do X, Y, Z and you could scale and you could do this. And so that's another, another thing that I want to do. Right. Well, listen, I firmly believe that you're going to fly by this micro fun thought and just go big because I know and I believe that, you know, one of these bets, one of these investments you've made is going to pay off big for you and and prov- provide you that foundation to, to take it to the next level and um, and invest in so many more. I, I really love what, what you're doing and I just think it's awesome. Well, thank you. Um, what you're doing is great. I think mean, this is a really, you know, resource that you're creating trailblazers and interviewing uh, people who are doing great things from different, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and people in corporate America, it's, it's certainly something that's needed and, you know, hats off to you for that. Thank you. Thank you. So this part of our program, you know, we like to be able to have you share some resources with our listeners to help them sharpen their minds 
And I can't tell you, you've shared a ton of resources just now, but what's one book you've read in the past that has inspired you most? So I'm going to give actually two books. Sure. So I think um, the first in terms of just like for an entrepreneur, I highly recommend anybody who's an entrepreneur to read this book and I actually picked it up. I was um, at the Angel Capital Association um, three weeks ago, their, their annual summit. And David Rose, he has a platform to, to raise crowdfunding platform called Guts. He's one of the founding members of New York Angels, which is one of the largest um, angel groups. And he's written several books. But And I read his, his first book, the Angel for Angel Investors, and it's called Angel Investing. But he has a new book out called The Startup Checklist, uh, Entrepreneur Startup Checklist. Highly recommend it. I'm, I'm actually halfway through it. It's great, like a roadmap. He basically, you know... <laughs> I highly recommend that for any entrepreneur because he's invested in, in, in tons of companies and this will save you a lot of just from how you go from business, your idea of your business, how do you get customer feedback to really hone your business so that you can launch it using a lean startup methodology, you go to market, you know, you iterate it. And then, you know, corporate structure, how do you, you know, get investors? I mean, the whole, like, from start to finish, it's, it's pretty amazing. So um, I, I highly recommend that book. And then, you know, just kind of from a book that I was just made me, that inspired me, was a book called Why Do the White Guys Have, Have All the Fun? And that was basically... <laughs> A book um, actually started as autobiography, Reginald Lewis, who was at the time, I don't know if he still was, but at the time, um, he was the the wealthiest black man in America. He unfortunately died, I believe in 1993, um, a brain cancer at 50. So he was in the midst of writing his book, and uh, they finished it by interviewing his family and other you know, business associates, people who knew him, and was struck, what was really, you know, the title says it all, you know, his whole thing is like, you know, you know, he was on Wall Street, he was a lawyer, went to Harvard Law, Wall Street, you know, philanthropist, um, he's a CEO of Beatrice International, which was a big conglomerate, and his whole, just like, was relentless, you know, work ethic, and just driven, and expected excellence of himself and other people, and unfortunately, he died an early death, but, you know, he accomplished so much in his short 50 years. Um, right. I read, that, I read that book, actually, when I was in law school, and it really, um, you know, again, you know, just kind of, like, working for someone like Londell, who actually won a Reginald Lewis, they have a foundation, Londell won an award, he won an award from the Reginald Lewis Foundation, um, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago, but just this guy was just such a trailblazer, and truly a trailblazer, because there were not a lot of him out there, and inspired me, and I think, um, you know, I think all of us, you know, need to strive for excellence. I think we fall down. We'll have roadblocks. We'll have people tell us what we can and cannot do. But he was relentless, and he knew that he could do well, and he excelled. And so, you know, that was kind of, I think about that book, I have it. I, you know, I look at it. I turn to it, you know, some days when I'm having a rough time, and I get inspired by it. It sounds like it might spark you taking another read right now. <laughs> um so what is something small you've done this month that you're proud of? I touched on it earlier. I think the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit was really great. I was um, really honored. You know, it was kind of like a full circle in my life. My dad would bring home magazines you know, right. when I was growing up, and he would make me read it cover to cover. And the two magazines I remember, I had to read Time from cover to cover and then Black Enterprise, and we'd talk about it. And so mm. for me to be, I've been featured in Black Enterprise twice in the magazine, and then to be invited to their summit and be one of their the judges for their pitch competition, and then also speak on a panel, you know, that was pretty remarkable. But I got to meet, what I really loved is, beside that kind of my full circle dreams come true is that I got to see these amazing entrepreneurs who had great ideas. Some were had just an idea phase. Some were actually, you know, doing it and making revenue and, and just, just, we have a community out there that's doing stuff. And, you know, I want to do whatever I can do to help that community to grow and help them get funding, help them, you know, tweak their business model so they can scale their business. So I came back really inspired and knew that I, I'm on the right path. And but I gotta, I gotta scale myself. So yeah, 
Well, that's a, that's a plug to definitely get me out there next year. I felt so bad that I wasn't able to make it this year, and I I can't wait to be able to sign up. That's that's number one event on my list for next next I spring. Highly, highly recommend it, Stephen. That'd be great. Lorene, can can a trailblazer have too many goals? You know, I think. Um I'm all for like thinking big, dreaming big. Um, but I think the reality is that what I found is that, um, you know, you really have to be focused. And so what I, I try to do and just in my day to day is, and also just kind of my dreams and my goals is that I think you have to have short term goals, you know, kind of the immediate, it could be a month, three months, short term goals. And then you also have long term goals. So I think you have to kind of, I don't want to say have too many goals, but really you got to be focused on what you're doing. And so that's really important is setting priorities and being, being hyper-focused. But I would also say, don't be afraid to pivot or change your goals because things can change. The marketplace can change. The environment can change. And just, you know, I think the key is being adaptable in everything you do and also in your goals. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, you know, I'm a big believer in kind of short-term goals, being hyper-focused and then, you know, kind of, think about where you want to go long term but having these like short immediate goals and also if you're you have some wins with the short term goals and get you closer to your long term goals you know I think we want to have successes so you know I think having a short term goal is, is really realistic right so Lorene what's a online resource it could be an app software or tool that you use every day and you can't live without it I mean always email <laughs> <laughs> yeah, email is key. And then actually I use Evernote. Um, Evernote is great. I read a lot, you know, or sometimes I don't, I can't always read. I mean, I'm busy, so I can't always read every single article, everything I, I get. So sometimes I skim things, but then, you know, I can, for people listening, Evernote is a great web clipping um, app, service or app. You know, you can catalog things, you can create notebooks. So I have like a whole, you know, thing on women entrepreneurs or diverse entrepreneurs. I can tag my things that I read. And so even though I don't, I haven't read them at the time, but I can file, it's like, it's like, a file, it's like you file them away and then you can search for them. And so um, even when I was preparing for this, you know, today I was thinking about like kind of what my themes and what I want to talk about. You know, I have a ton of stuff that I've collected and just, you know, I'm able to search it and, and pull articles quickly and, and, and get information. So that's a big, big app that I use every day. Yeah, Trailblazers podcast listeners know that I'm a, a Evernote junkie and I live and die. Everything in this podcast is all structured through Evernote. So I, I, I am in 100% agreement with you on, on that app for sure. Lorene, is it important to you to volunteer and give back with your time, talents, and treasures? Absolutely. You know, I think um, probably before I started angel investing, I was very active in volunteering. You know, I, I sat on a number of boards. I was one of the board members for National Black Program Consortium. They're funded by PBS and they fund um, filmmakers who are, you know, African-American experience and PBS selects a number of those films to be broadcasted. And if they're not, you know, they some of them have gone theatrical release. And so kind of initial funding for those films. I actually also so um, was one of the organizers of TEDx Harlem, wow. created a non- nonprofit foundation surrounding that. I did that several years ago, and so that was all volunteer work and just kind of giving back to the community. But more recently, I mean, you know, just kind of with the angel investing, I don't have as much time to sit on boards and be active in that way. But you know, I mentor a lot of entrepreneurs, and then people call me. I constantly, you know, people reach out to me, and I see that there's definitely a need for people want advice, and so that's why I'm looking at how can I scale what I'm doing because I'm only one person and you know just different ways but so right now my focus is to help diverse entrepreneurs and you know I try to talk to them as many as I can but you know it's difficult but that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. Awesome. So I am just so happy that I just stayed persistent with you. Listen, everyone listening, Lorene is one of the busiest people to try and, and, and track down. Busy lady, but a very smart and, and ambitious and resilient woman you are with a wealth of knowledge. And I'm just so happy that we were able to capture your wisdom on this interview. As we get set to end today's session, I wanted to invite you to take a minute or two and impart some actionable, you know, advice or an inspiring message that can help us gain some courage and 
blaze our own trail? So I touched on it earlier. I think um, we'll all face challenges every day. You know, we'll face a challenge or, but I think, um, and we'll face failure, but that shouldn't define us. I think the key is how do you respond to those setbacks? And that's what makes Trailblazer successful. And I've learned that over time, there's a time where I would have setbacks and internalize them and be frustrated and they would derail me. And I just learned, you know, like, that's a part of life and you just got to kind of rise above it and I think a lot of people particularly in this this day and age and this culture and kind of instant gratification people see that hey someone's like successful and they don't know the struggles that people have gone through and I've had setbacks in my career and just you know my career and just just in general but I've always had faith and belief that you know I knew that I could make it and no one ever dissuaded me from that and I think if you can believe in yourself and know that keep your focus don't let anyone stand in your way you're going to have setbacks but it's a part of life and it's how you overcome them and that's why that's how you'd be successful so that's kind of what I I believe in and also kind of my last words are you know I think um, always be prepared Someone said to me, luck is opportunity meaning preparation. And I truly believe that. You know, I think about my life and my career. A lot of it was I had opportunities because I met someone at the right time, but I was ready for that opportunity. And I think um, I was prepared for it and I had done X, Y, Z. And then it's like the universe conspires. And when you make up your mind, it happens. And it's just, I mean, it, it continues to happen to me and it's kind of mind boggling and, and there's signs. And so you just have to like have faith and believe in yourself and don't let anyone dissuade you. And it's okay to be scared, but don't let that consume you. Great advice. Great advice. Lorene, this is a, uh... I'm just going to put it out there. This is going to be a bookmark episode for me. I'm going to mandate that every entrepreneur, budding entrepreneur, listens to this podcast episode. I think you shared a wealth of knowledge that everyone really needs to take in and absorb. I hope everyone has their Evernote open, writing (laughs) notes um, while they're listening to this episode today. And, um, you know, we just appreciate you taking the time again to share your story with our community. And before we let you go, I wanted you to tell us how we can stay connected to you and then we can finish up. Sure. So, um, you know, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, Lorraine mm-hmm. Pendleton, and I'm on Twitter at Lorraine Pendleton. So those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Well, thank you, Stephen. Keep doing what you're doing with Trail, Trailblazers. This is awesome. And um, good luck to all the listeners out there. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. We'll be posting the links to Lorene's book recommendations, her resources and social channels on our show notes page at tbpod.com slash episode 22. Guys, before you sign off, please do me a favor. Open an email right now and invite someone to listen to this or any other episode you think might impact them most. Someone listening to one of these inspiring stories is going to be moved to make a change that impacts the world and so many others in the process. Don't miss next week's episode. We'll be sharing another unique story about a chemist turned entrepreneur, Dr. Marquita Qualls. For all my listeners in the STEM community, this is going to be a great interview for you. You won't want to miss the nuggets of wisdom. Dr. Q has got to share. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.